If you have your Bibles this morning, why don't you turn with me to the book of Genesis. We are going to be in chapter 14 this morning and going from verses 17 to verse 24. We're going to be continuing in our series on our five G's and we've talked about grace, growth, gifts, groups, and good stewardship. That is what we're talking about today. But what is good stewardship? What is the definition of it? And really, it is all about managing well or being faithful with the portion that God has given you. So if you have a family, it is your responsibility to be a steward of that family. Not just being able to provide for them and going to work and earning a paycheck, but being able to teach them in the word and make sure that they are growing in the spirit. If you have, a, if you have your physical body, think about it. We're called to be good stewards. That means not putting stuff in your body in excess that will make you slow down everything that God wants for you and God has for you. God has called us to be good stewards of our bodies. But today, we will be talking about being a good steward of our finances. We're talking about money today, people. So strap in, because I got a lot to say about it. <laughs> and as Christians, many of us love to quote the verse in 1 Timothy 6. It says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yet what I've noticed is that while we quote the verse and say all the right things, finances still run many of our lives. We flee more to our budget sheet rather than the book. We concern ourselves with mortgage payments, car notes, and credit card debt, which has become a millstone around our neck and a consuming burden that we cannot get past. And while most of us say that we don't lo love money, many of us trust it way too much. We trust it for our future. We trust it more than we trust our spouses. In fact, Statistics tell you that one of the biggest tensions when first starting a marriage is finances. Well, this is my bank account, and this is your bank account, and what are we going to give each other? That's not being a good steward, and it's not what God has called you to be. Now, we'll talk about that more and more, because I understand that everybody sees finances differently, but we're going to get into the weeds of things. And church, we need to understand that finances are tools that can be able to impact us and impact eternity. The only way that happens is that we have to have trust in the one who gave us the tools in the first place. And our passage this morning is all about Abram's example of being a good steward. So let's get into the word. 
Genesis 14, starting in verse 17, the Bible says this. After Abram returned from defeating Kedalomar, I hate Hebrew names, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And be praise, uh, and praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, uh, Aner, to Eshkol, to Mamre. Let them have their share. Would you bow your heads and hearts with me in a word of prayer? Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for your spirit is in this room. And it was a sweet spirit this morning. When we sang those songs, there, there was a pause because we knew that your presence was felt and recognized. God, this is a difficult subject. Because we claim you to be Lord of our life, but there are very few times where we make you Lord of our finances. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and more importantly, hands and feet to respond to your message. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. But this is what it all comes down to, church. Good stewardship comes through trusting God. Good stewardship comes through trusting God. We're in the book of Genesis again, people. Slowly becoming my favorite book of the Old Testament. And our message this morning is to serve two purposes. One, to end our 5G series, but it's also going to be a segue in the new sermon series that we'll go into soon, which is all about the life of Abraham. It's going to span Genesis 15 to chapter 22. So if you want to do homework, read your Bible. <laughs> We're going to get into it. Right now, he's called Abram. And he was called out in Genesis 12. He was called to leave his father's family and journey to the land of Canaan. And God was going to bless him and make him into a great nation. And that all people who bless him will be blessed and all those who curse him will be cursed. But the story right after tells us that, yeah, you can be able to trust God. And the test after can be an immediate failure. Abram goes down to Egypt 
And he says, yeah, man, I trust God and everything, but, you know, if, if, if people uh, like my wife and, you know, she looks very, very pretty, so we'll just, we'll just do this so that I don't die and they don't take you. You're my sister. You're not my wife right now. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, says, that girl looked really good. That's literally what he did. And he took her for himself, and then plague happened all over Egypt. And the Pharaoh went back and said, is that your wife? And he's like, yeah. Why'd you say he was your sister? Get out of here. So Abram went from immediately saying like, yes, I, I like this. You know, I understand this. And then immediately didn't trust God. Right next story. You know what's great about all of that? God doesn't choose holy people. God chooses men and women like you and I to be able to carry out his promises. And while we call people in scripture heroes of the faith, they're all imperfect. So we can be able to relate to their stories. That we can be able to identify. And it also helps us to see that the challenges that they were dealing with back then, a lot of them are universal and they happen in our setting as well in different scenarios. But our text this morning is all about Abraham successfully rescuing his nephew Lot. How they had separated and Lot settled in Sodom. And what happened is that there were these five kings of the north who occupied most of Canaan. And Lot and the king of Sodom and five other kings are going up against these kings of the north. And the kings of the north defeat the five southern kings, take Lot with them, and run up north. And when Abram hears this, he takes 318 of his own men and people who he has partnered with around in the area where, where he has his neighbors. And he goes and fights this, uh, these four kings with thousands in their armies. And the Bible tells us that Abram routed all of the armies, 318 men and thousands laid at his sword. Now, if you don't know the, how the Old Testament works or how the ancient Near East works, is that when Abram has won this battle, it means that the money, the cattle, the spoils, the land are all for him to keep. That's how it works in the ancient world. But is Abram going to trust the processes of the day? Or is he going to trust God? Is he going to say, you want to know what? This is how God is going to give me the land. Or is it just the way of the day? And there becomes the tension in our story. And we have the same choice. Are we going to trust the S&P 500 more than we trust God? Are we going to trust our budget sheets more than we trust God? Or when we see that, oh, this month I'm not going to have as much. Maybe I can't give. I'm just letting that sit there. Maybe I've overspent on me too much, so I have to pull back in other areas. Or God, I don't know where the next paycheck 
is going to come from. So I'm going to swipe my credit card. No, this story is all about trust in God. And there are many doors of trust, church. We can claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior and say that he is Lord of our life. But then there are many doors in the house that we shut or many sins that we bury in the closet of our soul and say, just don't go in that room. It's not just this subject. It's all of these subjects. So today, let us trust in God through this process as we see Abram's example. And remember, God is the one who proclaims in Psalm 50, I have no need for a bull from your stall or a goat from your pens. Let me put it to you in your language. I don't need your nickels and dimes. I don't need your savings for every animal of the forest is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. It's all his. He doesn't need us, but he asks us to trust him. Amen? So good stewardship comes through trust in God. And the first thing that good stewardship does is that it gives back to God. Genesis 14 after Abram returned from uh, defeating Kedadolomar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Let me talk to you guys about Melchizedek a little bit. Because this is the only time in scripture that he shows up in a narrative form. He shows up in the Psalms and he shows up in the book of Hebrews. But this is the only story that we specifically have of him. He is a king and a priest to the Lord. And he does two things. He offers Abram food, most likely <clears throat> for himself and his men who just received this victory. And the meal is a meal of fellowship and of thanks. And Melchizedek, it says in God's word that he is king of Salem. Now that would make no sense to you and I. However, Salem becomes Jerusalem. Abram is meeting God with a king and a priest representing the mountain that will become God's holy city. God is foreshadowing us stuff that is supposed to happen within the future from this exchange. He blesses Abram. And this is the first time that we see the fulfillment of the promise of God from Genesis 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. 
And upon receiving the blessing, Abram immediately acknowledges Melchizedek by giving him what the Bible calls a tenth. This is our word for tithe. That's literally what the word tithe mean and tithing means. It means 10%. And 10% is not only found in the Bible. In fact, in the ancient Near East, Babylonian, Assyrian, Egyptian, all the cultures of the Mideast and all the Semitic cultures of the day would have been giving a tithe for two reasons. To acknowledge a king, what we would call the palace tax. So if you were entering the palace of a king, you were told to give a tenth of everything. And then the temple tax. So you would go to your house of worship, go to the priest, and give them 10%. Sound familiar? I love when God confirms his word in and outside of scripture. Abram doesn't technically need to give anything here. According to their custom, rather, he's setting an example for future generations, all that come after him. There is no tithe, no giving, and no offering for spoils of war. It is something that is completely foreign to their society. But Abram, in acknowledging Melchizedek and his ministry, is saying this was God's to begin with. We, under, we must understand that everything that we have, just like Abram, comes from God. Our home, our food, our clothing, our family, our faith, and especially our finances. Everything belongs to him. Everything was an open door that he has blessed us with. And there are times where we think that we are in control. And when we place ourselves in control, isn't that when we're late at night trying to figure out how ends meet? Isn't that where I remember uh, seeing my parents and my grandparents do this? They would take the bill and they would flip the envelope to the opposite side. And there became like their budget sheet. I have this much money. And if I spend this and if I spend this and if I spend this, I have this much for me. There would be dozens of those envelopes that would go over and over and over again. Because we were trying to be the master of our lives. When we start giving it to God, when we start saying, hey, this was your blessing, not mine, how much stress and pressure comes off of us. But some might say, Pastor, tithing is great. Awesome. Understand, it's in God's word and stuff. But it's in the Old Testament. Oh, nobody's thinking of that. I'm going to tell you that I've already heard that this week. That's an Old Testament thing. It's, it's a part of the old law. Then why is Abraham practicing tithing? What law does Abraham have to follow? That happens 450 years afterwards when Moses is writing down the law. So Abram doesn't know anything 
that is in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It hadn't happened yet. And yet, Abram is practicing the law. He is providing an example. And in Romans 2, verse 14, it talks about us when we are obedient to God's word but don't have it. It says, indeed, when the Gentiles or non-Jewish people who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. So when there are people, whether they be Jewish or non-Jewish, who are obedient and submitting to the law of God, not even knowing that it's God's law, they are a law in and of themselves. They are practicing the things of God. Why or how? Because God has made us. So he has put those things in us naturally. And there are things through the Holy Spirit that bubble up and leak out that we say, how did that get there? So Abram gave out of faith and a trusting relationship with his creator. And remember, all of us are the children of Abraham, not by blood, but by faith. As it says in Galatians 3, starting in verse 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. How many people are glad that we are all blessed because of Abraham's faith? So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So who do you trust? Do you trust God? Or as Maya said, do you trust money? I remember this uh, saying from... Roger Babson, it's, it's called the lifespan of a dollar. And a dollar spent for lunch lasts a couple hours. A dollar spent for a, a necktie lasts maybe a few weeks or a few months. A dollar spent for a, a cap or, uh, or clothes or a car may last a few years. An hour spent on a railroad can last five decades, but a dollar spent in service for God's kingdom lasts for eternity. Let's be a body of believers who gives back to God as a way of saying thank you for all that you've done for us, especially our salvation. Remember this, guys. God has given us life and life eternal. That means that all of our thanks should be able to go to him. But let me give you a preface, okay? Let me, let me just say this after we, we've talked about this. We're halfway through our talk. I'm not telling you guys, uh, guys this because I want to pay raise. Can we, can we be real? Can we be transparent in God's house? Because there are many pastors that say so so that they can be able to increase. Hmm. There are people in my family, not my immediate family, but my extended family who will not step foot in a church because of how certain ministers have talked about giving. 
So I'm not looking for a raise. I am very grateful for everything that the church has provided me and my wife for us to be able to be successful. I don't want anything more. I am content with the, with the great thing that God has given me. Nor am I saying give so that we hoard. This ministry is not about hoarding money. This, this ministry is about being a steward of the money and sending it out so that others can be able to benefit from the gospel. Putting it in things like our food pantry ministry and our outreach ministry, being able to have times of fellowship where we are in and outside of the church, being able to go to conferences so our ministry leaders can be able to be discipled and be growing, uh, putting things into ministry so that our youth can get away from the regular routine of church and see something different, see God in a different way. That is what we use the finances of this church for. We want you to have a fully, a fully trusting relationship with your heavenly father. But how can that be done if there are parts of your life that are shut off? All parts of us must be given to God. We are just bringing, we're not just bringing up the parts that we like to talk about. Everybody talks about surrender. Everybody talks about sin. But there's a, there's a book that I want you guys to read one day, and you can write this down. It's not in your notes. It's called Respectable Sins. It's called Respectable Sins. And it's all about sins that Christians find okay to get away with. Oh, everybody just, mm. <laughs> That book has helped me so much because it's challenged my faith, not other parishioners' faith, my faith, and saying, God, if there is anything buried, let it come to the surface so that it can be given to you. If it's a weed, let it be pulled out by the root so that I can worship you in fullness of joy. So for some of you uh, that say to me, Pastor, I don't know how to start tithing. Or I don't know how to start giving. It's always been a tension. I haven't been able to reach that. No problem. That's what I'm here for. Give you advice. Be your pastor. Let's start with just giving. Let's start with sowing there. And like a muscle that you work out, build up to a point where you can be able to give God what is rightfully his. There's a book that I have in my office uh, that I will offer to each and every one of you guys, if you guys would like it. It's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, okay? It all talks about the verse in Matthew that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a very practical book that talks about giving, sowing, and be able to release some of the stress that goes with that. So I will offer you guys that. Shoot me an email, leadpastor at BethelNewwork.org, and I will make that available. Sorry, Joe, you're going to buy a bunch of books, <laughs> per usual. <laughs> but then people might say, Pastor, I am in so much debt that I can't give anything up because if I tithe, then that means that I would be in the red always because I have this and I have this and I have that. I understand. We all have debt. And what does the Bible say? 
that the, uh, the debtor is slave to the owner. That's what it says. We got some resources. We got some stuff for you. I got some stuff for you. If you go to our website, BethelNewark.org, we offer this class that we partner with our sister churches with. It's called Financial Peace University. And all of it is about being able to create budgets and get out of debt so that we can be a church of generosity. Me and my wife have taken this course and we have the materials that we consistently use. And we've partnered not only with our local sister churches, but also one of the financial counselors that we have come uh, to speak at this church. His name is Damien Smith. And Damien is a wonderful faith-based financial counselor whose entire life has been dedicated to people reaching financial freedom within the body of Christ. That is his mission and his goal in his life. So church, it's time that we make a decision today to say, Lord, I give all that I am to you, everything that I own, and I don't know much, but I know that you supply my every need. So by faith, you are my source. Amen. Can we just pause for a minute? We got through a lot of stuff. And you guys are very quiet. There's not a lot of amens in this sermon. It's okay. I understand. But listen, this is not a problem to be solved. It's a tension to be managed. And if we give it to God most high, he'll take care of it. So good stewardship gives back to God. This is another thing that Abram gives us an example of. Good stewardship forsakes the world's spoils. Follow me on this. Genesis 14, starting in verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and the goods keep for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord. God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say to me, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what the men have eaten and their share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, to Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share." This is the same meal, guys. The same meal where Melchizedek blesses Abraham. The king of Sodom is right there. They're both hand in hand sharing this meal with him. And it's the same meal, but a different attitude. The king of Sodom knows that Abraham is a physical threat now. Because of the victory that he received in Genesis 14, the first half... That led us up to the story. Remember, he defeated armies of thousands with 318 men. So obviously, somebody is backing him up. We don't know who. So reminder, Abram has rights to everything. He has rights to the money, the cattle, the servants, and the land. And the king's response is, give me the people. Do whatever you want with the rest.
you receive blessing and curse in the exact same conversation. It's funny how the king of Sodom in a couple chapters after this receives a curse from God in the destruction of his kingdom. Because the king of Sodom here, seeing Abram as a threat, is cursing Abram and saying, take your stuff and go. But Abram's response is, I want nothing from you. You're never going to get credit for what my God has done to me. But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember what I just told you guys? He's giving up everything. He doesn't want anything. Abram, the land, you know the thing that God said that he was going to give you? What about that? That's what I would be thinking about. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but with the victory over the northern kings and their armies, 50% of modern day Israel is now in Abram's possession. He owns 50% of what 500 years afterwards his ancestors will inherit. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And he can be able to see it in his lifetime. But why didn't he want it? Verse 23. I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or a strap of a sandal, so that you may never say, I made Abram rich. Abram was going to receive his inheritance from the Lord and the Lord alone. The enemy wants us to forget about our walk with Christ by being comfortable in our means. And when we get a little bit extra to not think about all the rest of the stuff that God might want us to use it for, but how we can be able to benefit ourselves. I'll give you the, I'll give you the prime example. I know nobody has done this. Okay? I know that nobody has done this, but, you know, when I was growing up, I remember stories from my friends during income tax time. And uh, I remember a couple of my boys saying, you know, we got a new flat screen TV because my, my mom got her check. And we rent, went over to Rent-A-Center. Hello. Can you tell we were broke? <laughs> no, went over to Rent-A-Center, and we did six months of payments. And let me tell you something. That flat screen TV is in my, that's hood rich. Let me just pause. That's just, that's just hood. I got this money now, so I'm about to spend it now. That's not how God thinks. What God does, in one way or another, and I'm going to give you another example of my life, is, hey, I know that you've saved money because you and Vanessa want to go on a great vacation. Yeah. I want you to take half that money and I want you to go sow it into a ministry. I've been a good steward, I tithe, I give demission. Do me a favor, go sow that. Go, go do it. Okay, sure. Vanessa, you can tell that I'm old because I still pick up my phone like this instead of this. Vanessa, uh, I just got to let you know that God told me to be able to do this and, and this is what I'm going to do. You know what Vanessa says? Okay. She hangs up the phone. Vanessa got more faith than me when it comes to money. Because I'm going to be honest with you guys, I came from nothing. 
I came from nothing but the, the piece of bread that was in my hand. So whenever I get something, I do keep it and hold on to it until God says, open up your hands and give it out. It is a struggle that I deal with every single day. But I'm glad that I look at that and don't have a closed fist when the Lord says, open it up. Because it's not my master. And be, if I get an extra paycheck or if I get a bonus or if all of a sudden the Lord sows something into the ministry, I don't have to worry about saying, I'm going to do this with it, I'm going to do this with it, I'm going to do this with it. I can be able to lay it at his feet and say, what do you want to do first? Because not mine. It's yours. The pursuit of substance and material wealth sometimes blinds us from getting down on our knees. Thank you for all those amens. I'll say it again. The pursuit of material wealth or coming up. You remember moving on up to the east side sometimes blinds us from getting down on our knees and praying to the one who is Yahweh Yireh, the Lord who provides. James tells us of the rich in 111, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich or the riches will fade away even while they go about their business. And Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6.10. We talked about it today. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's where we stop. But look at the second part of the verse. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But I like the words of Jesus. His words are the best. In Luke 12, he says, Consider how the flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his splendor was, uh, was not dressed like any of these ones. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, which is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or your drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world or the non-religious world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need him. But seek, I'm going to use King James because it's the only way that I know it by heart. But seek ye first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. There was, a, there was a concept that was kind of ending when I was a kid, but I remember talking about it a lot with my parents and with my grandparents. And it's this concept of a rat race. Some of you guys are familiar with the word. Some of the young people might not get the reference. But all of it is all a way of life in which people are ca caught up in this fierce competition for this power for wealth and status. And it runs like a wheel. Because it never ends. 
They keep going and pursuing and, suing, uh, and pursuing, and then all of a sudden they start buying and buying and buying. So when they were poor, they had nothing. And when they are rich, they still have nothing because they built all their treasures inside the world and nothing will last for eternity. I've seen uh, different places for our young people. I've seen uh, different things on Instagram and on TikTok where they're like, this is how you get rich really quickly. You go on this website and you, you make a profile. And if you do this for the next six months and 80 hours of your week, you will get rich eventually. And I know, friends, that it seems unfair at certain times when we are doing our due diligence to follow and be obedient to God. And there are people who are not practicing the things of God, people who love this world, that receive wealth, status, and comfortability. I'm talking to somebody right now. I know. I've been there as well. Why do evil and corrupt people receive so much and I receive so little? Well, my question to you is, where's your treasure being stored at? Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Is it looking up or is it looking around? Joe, would you come? I, co I told you guys already, this is not about money. This sermon has to do with being a good steward. And being a good steward of your life is trusting God for everything. Remember, that's what it comes down to. I'm going to tell you right now, we're not going to take an additional offering. We're not going to give any extra testimonies. And for those of you who do not have a relationship with Christ yet, for those of you who are still taking your baby steps, be okay. I wasn't yelling at you. I understand that God has growth with everything. But for those who know better, you know who you are. Can we trust God with everything? Everything. God, I trust you with my life, except the things in my life that I'm not comfortable with. I trust you with my body, except for the food that I specifically enjoy. I'm not going to give that up. I trust you with my family, 
Because you're going to take care of them and your heavenly angels are going to watch over them. But I'm not going to practice the things that they need to survive in this world. It's like when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. This is what he said to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Because you tithe your mill, your, uh, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. But you forget the other parts of the law, faith, justice, and mercy. You should have done the former without neglecting the latter. That's what he says. And then this is what he also says to his disciples. This is what he says to them when he first starts with them. He says, boys, I'm paraphrasing. So take this as pastor's words somewhat. Boys, your ministry, it's in Matthew 5, has to be more than the Pharisees. So your practices that you do, the habits that you have, your prayer life, your fasting life, your giving life, all of these things have to be greater than the ones who have practiced them without love. So who do you trust? Don't have faith in your bank account. Don't have faith in your credit cards. Have faith in your Father in heaven who will supply every need. It's the only thing that he says testimony. Finances are the only thing that God says test me on and I will see to it. Are you ready with me, church? Let's stand together.